course, I moved into the parish, like I said, a long time ago. And, you know, not long later, Deacon Mike Mims was ordained a deacon. And then a handful of years later, Deacon Mike Mort was ordained a deacon. And so I just kind of thought, I'm a parishioner at St. Anthony's and my name is Mike. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a requirement to become a deacon. So here. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, the official podcast of St. Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I'm the Communications and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony. And today I am blessed to be joined by a deacon you know and love, Deacon Mike Crawl. What's oh, going on? You know, I don't think that applies globally. So maybe, <laughs> you know, it depends how, hopefully we can round up. And, and that's true. But, well, thanks but. for coming, uh, Deacon Mike. It's it's about 7 a.m. On a, on a Wednesday, so... Glad you took some time out to uh, to be on beyond the bulletin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. This is uh, my wife got to be on here a long time ago, so now um, you know we're even. I'm glad to catch up with her. Mrs. Crawl has been on the podcast. Yes, she has, but not Mr. Crawl. No, Crawl. I haven't. I have not. Wow. Well, welcome. We're we're here to rectify that situation. <sighs> Finally, finally. <laughs> so many of you have seen Deacon Mike. Deacon Mike is the uh, deacon with a beard. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just me as a new guy. As, as I take a look at around the parish, and I know all the deacons now, but there was a time when I showed up that I would just see every other weekend some guy up there, and he's all decked out. He's got the robes, and I'm like, well, that's not the priest. So who's this Who's this new guy? And yeah. they're and they're and then oh that guy's retired. He's, he's coming back. And so we have how many deacons do we have here at St. Anthony's? We have we have seven. Seven active deacons. So yeah, so active. Um, I don't know everybody's official status, but um, you know that I'm including the retired deacons and everybody. So we have seven though that one way or another active in our parish, working at, at St. Anthony's, serving at masses or doing baptism, all the things that deacons do, which I will. We will talk about, but um, I guess it's just fascinating to me as someone from a diocese originally that does not really have uh, active deacons, especially permanent deacons. Um, so coming into it, I didn't know I basically what in. was going on or what y'all's role is. So I'm very excited to dive in a little bit and, and find that out. Great. Yeah. Our archdiocese is blessed. We have over 400 permanent deacons. And so that's not usual. There are a lot of uh, dioceses around around the country, uh, around the world, for sure, that, that have barely any, if, if any at all. There's some dioceses that have none. So. Wow. Wow. Okay, so how long have you been here at the parish as a parishioner? As a parishioner, we moved here um, in 99, and we kind of bounced back and forth between Simon and Jude and, and Oak Ridge High School, where St. Anthony right. was having, having Mass. And so, yeah. So that makes somewhere in the neighborhood of 22 years. Which is as long as, so yeah, Oak Ridge, that's as long as St. Anthony's has been around. Uh, yeah, St. Anthony's is a little bit, they started meeting in houses and uh, before we arrived. So I think it was, I forget exactly, 95. So do you consider yourself a founding member of the uh, parish? No, no, I don't, I would, I don't want to. You don't want to unhinge yeah. on, on that title. Right, right. Long time. I'll settle for the title, long time parishioner. It's a good title. Sure. Very cool. So so you moved here, I mean, must have been pretty young, right out of college or? <laughs> yeah, it was in my 20s. Um, that's hard to believe. My wife and I, uh, we got married right out of college. We moved to uh, Atlanta, went to school at Georgia Tech, and 
then I uh, got a job near Sugarland, is where we lived. Uh, we were parishioners at St. Lawrence, and I uh, worked at Texas Instruments. And then I got a job at what at the time was Montgomery College, and now is Lone Star College, mm-hmm. and still working there. Lone Star, what do you do at Lone Star College? So now my title uh, sounds fancy. I'm special assistant to the president at, at Lone Star College, Montgomery. Special assistant to the special, president. Yeah. Were you originally just the assistant to the president, and then someone thought, <laughs> no, he's the special assistant? I, I've had a lot of roles there, but yeah, many regular roles before my special one. <laughs> very good, very good. So so what about your uh, journey into the diaconate? When did that start? You know, it, it's funny. I, I get that question, um, and it's hard to answer. It feels like it was kind of a lifetime journey. You know, of course, I moved into the parish, like I said, a long time ago, and you know, not long later, Deacon Mike. Mims was ordained a deacon, and then a handful of years later, Deacon Mike Mort was ordained a deacon. And so I just kind of thought, I'm a parishioner at St. Anthony's, and my name is Mike. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a requirement to become a deacon. So um, no, for real, it had always been a thought. But then um, went on a retreat, and that on, on my mind during the whole retreat was the diaconate. And then I, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's just a thought or if God's putting that on my heart or what it is. And then right after the retreat, I had a conversation with Deacon Tom Vicknair, and he said, have you ever thought about being a deacon? And I thought, well, yeah, the last three days I've been thinking about it. So maybe so. And then, um, yeah, so went to an information session and discerned and uh, here wow. I am. So, well, tell me about that discernment because... Again, I'm just from a place where I've never yeah. been around permanent deacons. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it a different uh, sort of discernment process or uh, even a vocational process than your discernment of marriage or someone else's discernment of you know going into seminary and entering the priesthood? Is it is it similar to that or a, a little bit different as it came a, a little bit later in life? You know, it's hard to say what it's it, how similar it is. I, I, I'll tell you a story that I think applies to any kind of discernment. I was considering the idea, you know, I had that conversation with Deacon Tom and then I, talking about it with my wife, I found out that it's six years of, of formation. Mm-hmm. So going to school for six years, doing all kinds of practices for six years, and then, and then you have a lifetime commitment, right? And, right? and so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, yeah, discernment for marriage. You're like, can I stay married to this person for my whole life? Right. Like, so there's a similarity, but but I'm trying to think, oh my gosh, what, I, I can't, how can I make a commitment for six years and for the rest of my life? What, I, I can't make that decision. What does God want me to do? And then I had a conversation with a friend of mine who said, Mike, settle down. You don't have to decide all that right now. You just need to decide if you're going to go to the information night. That's right. And so I thought, oh, I can I can pray about whether or not God wants me to go to that meeting on Thursday. Yeah, I can do that, which was awesome because it, it made the whole process. I, I broke down the whole process like that um, just on this guy's advice that, you know, do I want to go to the information session? Yeah, I, I think God wants me to do that. And then uh, what about the next information session? Yeah, I think God wants me to do that. What about signing up for classes? Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, just the, for six years, that's, that's what I went through, was continually just praying and asking God for his guidance and saying, you know, do you want me to do this? And I felt like the answer kept coming back, yes. That really is a great discernment, you know, advice. I, I've seen that in my own world uh, with friends overthinking or overpraying dating. They, they yeah. would uh, maybe 
see a girl and think like, well, could I spend the rest of my life with her? <laughs> or, or, or yeah. And, 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 yeah. and that's yeah. not the question you're at. You're, you're supposed to be asking right away. Right. Right. Could I spend one evening with her at, at dinner, you know, at Olive Garden? <laughs> exactly. Can we share soup, salad and breadsticks at Olive Garden? That's the first question you have to ask yourself. Exactly. In a dating you, relationship. You don't even have to commit to dessert. I mean, you like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that stuff's extra. If she brought cash, maybe, but <laughs> If it's on your own dime. So just one thing at a time. I mean, um, and that six years of that, it led you uh, to the diaconate. Yeah. And and they make it clear, the archdiocese and the formation program, they make it clear, you know, everything is discernment all the way up to the moment you are kneeling in front of the bishop and he puts his hands in your head. That prayer continued every moment until, you know, that day, Mm -hmm. you know. Praying and asking God's guidance, do you really want this? Do you really want me to do this? You sure you know what you're getting into, God, with with Deacon (laughs) Mike Crawl? Exactly, exactly. Power. Yeah. What changes? Um, As a as a priest, I understand you're a priest forever. You're a priest Mm -hmm. in heaven. You have Mm -hmm. a mark on your soul. Mm -hmm. Your hands are are different, um, and you can enter into the, you know. In persona Christi, you uh, you act right. as the person of Christ in in sacraments and in certain situations. So, mm-hmm. how is that similar? And how is that different from the deacon role? I think, yeah, obviously, there's things that priests do that are unique to their role. Um, deacons, the word deacon comes from diaconia, that means service, and so that's you're, you're ordained, you're you're changed, but uh, changed in a way that you're dedicated to service. And so that just becomes part of your of your life. Um, people ask questions about you know like balancing life. You know, once you become a deacon, how do you how do you do your church work and your family work and your work work? And one of the one of the words we learned through formation I love is integration. That, that it's not a balance. It's you integrate the diaconate into everything. And mm. and what's funny is I, I feel like I feel like the there has been a change and there's like a label on my forehead that tells people like this guy's different because I'll just be in random conversations with people that I don't know. And they will just start talking to me like I was meeting with them as a deacon at the church. I feel like something really did change. I don't know what it was, um, where the label is stuck, but, but there's that. And then, you know, it's just about a life of service and in whatever way that at the, at the mass, it, you know, doing activities around the parish, serving in uh, charitable ways at, at social ministries or things like that. Well, you're a public person now, yeah. uh, and, and you were before in your role at you know Lone Star as right. the special assistant. I mean, people knew who you were, and, and you, you obviously, in whatever role, you still have an obligation to be virtuous in your dealings at HEB and, and whatnot. Right. But I do feel like there is something, even as a church employee, but then as a deacon or priest Mm -hmm. that you are it's not a hat you're wearing yeah you know it's it's uh all the time especially because seeing a deacon act poorly or a priest act poorly can be extremely scandalous and people it it would affect people um maybe permanently yeah i mean no pressure on (laughs) right (laughs) actually when uh you know the the latest church scandal was right before our ordination it was in the, the months leading up to the ordination and it made me realize that I'm not just taking my gifts into this ministry. I am 
you know, because that's what you think. You think, oh, what are my strengths and how is that, how am I going to use this for God? And that's important. But it also made me realize I'm also taking my sins and my failings into the ministry. And, you know, just like these priests that did horrendous things, I mean, those are horrible sins and I hope I never (laughs) near anything like that. But it's, but you know, I do have faults and failings and those come into the ministry. It scared me so much to think, oh my gosh, what am I bringing in that is going to cause harm? And how hard do I need to work to make sure those things go away? Wow. That's something good to reflect on. Well, uh, I like to say this on every podcast. I'm engaged. I don't want to brag. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm getting married in a couple of months. And that is uh, something to think about. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just the date night Nate who uh, mm-hmm. is, has jokes in his suave or whatever. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to be suddenly, you know, 6.30 a.m. Nate and um, yeah. uh, after work Nate uh, yeah. who's uh, frustrated or whatever and bringing in everything. Uh, so yeah, and, and same with her. So it's a life. It's not a job. It's uh, a life for yeah. for being a husband, being a a, a deacon. And, and you're exactly right about marriage though. That's, you know, it's a lot about entering into it and, and it's, it's neat on the wedding day to, you know, especially as Deacon, I get to stand in the best seat in the house and watch two people look at each other all googly eyed in love. And that's really cool. But then you get the day to day stuff that, you know, that's, that's the part of marriage where you almost, it's almost where you show the most love, right. Is to say, you know, this other person is like, they have their struggles and their faults and, and how am I going to help them with that? And how am I going to deal with it on my own when I have my own struggles and, and, impatience and that kind of thing. Katie has to put up with a lot of that. that you know, everything that I do, that's crazy. How many years have you been married? So we just celebrated our 28th anniversary. 28 years. I'm 28 years old. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I can say that. Like, I just, <laughs> You have I, I a lifetime of marriage. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you've been a deacon for how long? For two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, so you have... You have opportunity in your home life and then in every other aspect of your life yeah. to serve, like you like you said, which is the point of being a deacon, which is so much opportunity for grace. Yeah. And do you find that the Lord provides that grace? <laughs> I mean, do you find that it's like you're able to do things that you wouldn't have been able to do a couple of years ago or, or, or find wisdom that you didn't have? Somebody told me before I was ordained, they, they made a comment about how they they just they're always amazed at how deacons seem to be able to handle so much and and that it's got to be a, a, a grace of the sacrament and so it, it made me pay attention before I was ordained to how much I was doing and it was I felt like I was doing a lot and I thought well maybe maybe it's already like working but then after ordination though no, there's something else I I can't even really explain it except yeah it just feels like like every once in a while I look back and say what did I just do how did I handle that and like. Yeah, it just it just happened, and it's like yeah, it's just a gift of God to <laughs> maybe to blind you to some of the the pain or something. I don't mm-hmm. know, but but it's uh, no, but it's awesome. It's been it's been wonderful. I, I love being a deacon. What do you find yourself uh, doing as a deacon um, most? Are you preaching? Are you a uh, baptism guy you in hospitals or how, how are you spending your deacon time doing most i don't that's hard to doing most is hard to answer people see the homilies you know they see when you're when you're serving at mass um 
yeah, baptisms from, from time to time, weddings periodically, uh, preparing couples for marriage, uh, working on annulments. Every deacon also has an archdiocesan ministry, so, so mine is special use services, so I work with boys that are incarcerated. We do a Bible study every week for them. Which is hilarious because that's the exact like if you would have said what social ministry do you want I would have said please not prison ministry wow which is why show enough yeah and and God has a sense of humor because he said oh you think prison ministry is hard well how about prison ministry for youth oh my gosh. and so but I tell you it's been awesome it's been outstanding um, just you know what you learn about them listen to them talk and just the amazing the amazing transformations you see in some of these kids that that come into the first Bible study and. They'd rather punch you in the face than listen to you talk, and then yeah. you know after a couple of weeks they're just they could lead the Bible study. It's it's pretty awesome. Wow, see God working like that. I've yeah. heard a lot about our uh, our own St. Anthony's Colby ministry and how powerful mm-hmm. that can be, and um, the conversion and the conversion of both the folks who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. those men, and then the folks who go. Yeah, and because their life has changed as well. So. And and that's something as a I think as a priest or deacon you you do see is the the gamut of human experience. Yeah, it helps you to understand that everybody doesn't come from the same place as you. Which go back to marriage. That's that's a, you know something good for marriage as well. You know when I see these boys and you you think well why would they I don't ever I don't know what they do but I just every once in a while you hear a story about what's what some of them have done and you're like how could they do that and but then you hear their backgrounds and you know and. They're, they come to you and they're so excited because their parents are getting out of prison or something like that. And, you know, like I had parents at home with me, you know, and they didn't. And, right. you know, to understand where they're coming from is so important. And that's, like I said, in marriage, that's the, the analogy for marriage there is is super clear. You know, why is that other person, you, you know, why are they doing that? Well, oh, because there's something that, that's part of their story that's coming out now in this moment. Mm, wow. What's your favorite thing to do as a deacon? Oh golly, um, I, I I'll tell you I I love everything. I, I, everything about it has been awesome. Um, people once every once in a while ask me, hey, now you've been a deacon a couple of years. Do you like it? Yes, I love it. Homilies I kind of have a love hate relationship with. Um, I, I I love to give homilies. It's one of my favorite things. But writing a homily is like it's so hard because I want to get it just right, and so. It's like every time I'm scheduled, I go, all right. And then, oh, okay, I got some work to do. Um, but also funerals, uh, It seems that seems a little weird, like that wouldn't be on the list. Like you could, they're so sad, and of course they're sad and people are hurting, but God, to be able to bring like any, any peace and any hope and any just to like carry God into the room and remind everybody that God is present here mm-hmm. that is awesome awesome it is just unbelievable to be part of something like that when you see god acting and this family is grieving and hurting and it's just it's just beautiful and then um another one uh convalidations so folks who have been married outside of the church and then they come back for to be married in the church it is beautiful they've heard god's call in their life and how they want that they want god to be more uh, sacramentally present in their marriage God, it's amazing. I, I the convalidations are just awesome. So, folks who are married in uh, just civil marriage, civilly married, things like that, they're, right. they're coming yeah. in. They found the church and they want to have their marriage sacra sacramentalized. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's a, it's it's just wonderful. All those couples just to talk to them and hear stories and 
See, between that and then baptisms and then funerals, it seems like that is almost like opposite situations. And it's hard for me to understand, like the, especially the funerals bit, because I, I don't enjoy them. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't like to cry in, in, in rooms, and I always cry at funerals. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I can see how the, what you're saying is true. I just can It's hard for me to imagine, like, oh, I love funerals. You know, someone who's like, oh, yeah, they're great. They... they because yeah. of what you're able to do and, and, and yeah. be that presence and yeah. be the rock. And, and, and I would say the funeral itself is often, uh, you know, it's, it's terrible, like, yeah. like, especially when it's a tragic one that was unexpected, and, right. you know, um, but they're all, they're all tough, but it's the reminder for all of us that, that A, we're going to be there one day and B, this is where God's working. This is, this is what Jesus Christ came for us was to rise and allow us that opportunity to, to participate in the resurrection and to join him in heaven. And that's walking into a group of people with that message at a time when it's most appropriate. When it's it's just, most needed. It's, that's an awesome part of the ministry. Well, well thanks, for, uh, thanks for all you do. What about homilies? I mean, homilies is another thing that we all, everyone has an opinion on them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, every single person in the pew is thinking, this guy's great. Or this guy could use some, uh, some could use an edit or two. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. I, I feel like that can be a lot of pressure to, to deliver. Yeah. It, it is. So in my work at the college, I'm a public speaker, right? I, I've taught classes. And so I've spoken for, uh, spoken in front of groups of students a lot. You know, I, I've been in front of large crowds of thousands of people talking um, about whatever topic. And so I'm, I'm familiar with public speaking. But homily is is a unique form of public speaking because because exactly what you're saying. Everybody has an expectation um, that they, you know, expect something on on par with a parable of christ you know and like Mm -hmm. it's 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 tough but what helps me is i have the best homily editor in the world in my house uh my wife katie is amazing and so every homily i give i run by her first every sunday homily i should say she gets to hear it first and she is awesome about pointing out things to say you know why did you say that that didn't even belong and i can take it out or you know, to point out, you know, you need to be careful who you might hurt by by the way you phrase that and, yeah. and wow. things like that, because you do have to be so careful. Uh, you know, we have clear Catholic teachings that I'm not shy about bringing the Catholic teaching, but at the same time, you don't want to hurt somebody in a way that was unnecessary. So, so like I gave I gave a homily on abortion, and uh, you know, to get up there and say abortion is wrong is there's nothing that's great, but but to remember that. People have had abortions, and what kind of pain are they carrying with them? And I'm about to <laughs> get really into this and start right. crying because I like like to know that they're experiencing pain and that they um, to be aware of that when you're given the homily is important. What's the um, I'm going about about to go full Catholic and say there's a line in the New Testament. Don't know where. Don't know. Uh, couldn't quote it. <laughs> that is full Catholic. Uh, right. If I deliver the truth, but it be without love, then I'll be like a a, a gong, yeah. a clashing symbol, or something. Saint Paul. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, if you do anything, even if it can be true, this is what I see sometimes in well. I don't know, online discourses, sometimes Catholic, sometimes uh, political, mm-hmm. who, someone who is just delivering things that are true, yeah. and it, or facts, I should say. Yeah. And uh, it, like, 
yeah, doesn't matter to me. You lost me because you're acting like a jerk and, and that kind of hurt me what you said. So it doesn't matter if what you're saying is factual. Yeah. I'm not interested in hearing the message because of the way it was delivered. It was delivered without love. That's probably a difficulty though, because this idea of being pastoral, it's, it can be seen sometimes as a cop-out. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Of, right. of I'm just going to be kind to, or, or nice maybe is a better yeah. word. How do you toe that line? I mean, that, I mean, Katie, clearly a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very hard. Um, and I'm even, even in the way I'm phrasing what I'm answering you right now, you know, it, it's like, I'm, I'm aware of that, that there's, that there's this, you know, oh, you don't have to be nice. And, and I, and I definitely don't mean that. I feel like if you walk away from a homily of mine, you don't feel like you've been challenged or something. You, you, if you're completely comfortable at the end of a homily, I don't think I did a good job because every one of us has something to work on every one of us. And so I feel like that's the truth that, that I try um, whether or not I'm successful is another question, but I try in the homily to, to say, you know, here's something that we need to work on. We all need to work on. And what are you doing about it? And so it's important, like you said, not to beat somebody with a club to say, you know, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Cause, cause we're all, we, we all have our issues. That's true. But at the same time, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's about love that, you know, with my kids, I love them. And I'm not going to let them get away with something that's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow them to hurt themselves. And so if they need to hear something, I'm going to tell them. But, man, I'm doing it because I love them. I love them like crazy. And I, and I don't want them to hurt themselves. And it's the same. That's that's more or less the way I think when I'm writing a homily is is that, you know, I love these people. And what do I want to give them that's going to help them? Father David said something um, last weekend at Mass um, Along those lines, where he's, he's, it was about receiving the Eucharist and how gravely sinful it can be if you are in a position of grave sin. Mm-hmm. And he, his line was something along the lines of, um, I love you too much, I care too much about you yeah. to just flippantly give you this, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, which yeah. is crazy. And so too, like, I will never hand you the Eucharist because I love you unless you say the Amen. Because it means that you go, yes, I know what I'm about to do. I respect you too much to just flippantly hand you our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because I don't want it to hurt you. So uh, the assumptions coming up, that's actually this weekend, if you're listening in, you know, when this comes out, it's this August 15th, it's on, it's on a Sunday, so we're all going to be celebrating. Mm-hmm. Um, are you preaching this weekend? No, I'm not. How do you, um, how, would, how would you preach this weekend? Oh, if you were. Dang. Oh, that's harsh. Uh, give me a homily now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm asking. Um, well, so my brother's a priest. Okay. And he seems he's only been a priest for about three years. Uh, no, f- almost four, year, four or five years. Mm-hmm. But um, he's already able to sort of, uh, you know, we're talking about. Um, Grace covering up sin today, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Great, I've got. I'll, I'll do seven minutes. I got a quick daily mass yeah. homily. Yeah, yeah, I've got it right here. Yeah. Or uh, you know, awesome. your Marian homily. Mary was mentioned in the gospel today. What are you going to talk about? He's like, "Oh, great. No, I got three stories, and it'll tie it all together with this. You know, thing that happened two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's just mm-hmm. like in that mode where he's able to yeah. know, homilize or or come up with something because he's 
preached so many times. Which is a good thing because you that's that's one of the things you learn really fast is you should always have a homily at least in your head when you're at mass because you never know what's going to happen. Um, there are reasons. There have been several times when I've been there and oh, you're the homilist, Mike. Cool. Great. All right. Great. I guess the things that start bouncing around in my head, and that's kind of the way, you know, for homily preparation, that's the first thing I do is I just start thinking about the readings and thinking about the concepts and just let them kind of kick around in my head. And so, you know, Mary is one of the readings, um, I think it's for the vigil, the assumption is um, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and, and the comparison. I've, I've always loved that comparison that, yeah. you know, the Ark of the Covenant contained the commandments, the Word of God. You know, Mary contains Jesus, the Word of God, and that that comparison, and the you know the power that comes with the Ark of the Covenant um, that we saw clearly demonstrated on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. vividly. Yeah, technically. Uh, <laughs> but Mary, you know the the power of Mary, the Mother of God, you know, and the 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 life she lived, and you know. I think people often kind of think of her as like, oh, she must have had it easy because she didn't have sin, and it must have been a breeze for her because she was so holy. And and I think uh, there was something I remember on Scott Hahn talking about a long time ago that, you know, like, no, you don't understand the strength of the army you're facing by caving into it. You understand the strength of the army you're facing by by fighting against it. And so for her to imagine fighting against sin your whole life and never giving in, I mean, that's crazy. So... That'd be that would work for a homily something. Yeah, that was yeah, good. Yeah. That was great. Uh, and then the, you, I'm thinking about it. I'm I'm wondering putting myself in her shoes. And and yeah, that's a good homily. All right, there you go. So I'm I'm ready for Sunday. So if if, if any of the priests, if decide, anyone if, collapses or yeah. goes mute for, uh, <laughs> yeah. Mike, you're on. Cool. I'm excited. I love I love the assumption. I love. Um, these types of feast days, I think that if we're not using it, uh, the seasons and the feast days of the church, we should be in a way to enter into Lent when when Lent comes and to celebrate when it's Easter. And on these feast days that come around, yeah. live out a feast day. You know, yeah. I, I think that there's a reason the church has set up these days. There's yeah. There are good reasons to live liturgically. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love the liturgical year. Um, there was a, a, I think that was now a couple of years ago. I gave a homily about the liturgical year and printed some handouts and you yeah. know, for people to take because because it, it kind of it leads you through the history of the church every year, right? I mean, you have Advent where you're preparing for Christ's coming, you know, Christmas, Christ comes, um, you know, a little bit of ordinary time until Lent where Christ suffers and and dies, and then you Triduum and Easter when he rises and. And then ordinary time where we wait for Christ's second coming, and then at the end of ordinary time we have Christ the King, where we, you know, imagine Christ's second coming, and just living that every year. There's a message, you know, that, right. that you can easily miss because it's it's if you're not paying attention to the seasons and the feasts and the things along the way, then you you, you might miss it. But if you're watching it, it's just so cool to realize you're living the history of the world every year through the church. Yeah, and and it makes Easter a greater celebration when you have entered into Lent. It makes yeah. Christmas a little bit, uh, you know, more special when you have spent yeah. the last four weeks in preparation yeah. for Christ's coming. I mean, even yeah. down to uh, things like celebrating your baptism day, or yes. um, look at the the church calendar and say, "Well, here's a feast here, here's a feast here." I'm gonna be, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. be going crazy. But I don't know. I just think it's it's um, important to pick your patrons. And mm-hmm. celebrate them 
on top of the liturgical calendar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like figure okay. out, celebrate your baptism, figure out who you remember, who your confirmation saint was, yeah. however many years ago. Yeah. Well, when their feast day comes around, yeah, you know, have a, have a beer with a friend or, or, you yeah. know, call your mom or whatever. I don't know how you celebrate, but uh, yeah. celebrate. So today's the Memorial St. Clair. And so two people just left Mass this morning and, and, and said, hey, our confirmation saint is St. Clair. We're here to celebrate. Like, that's awesome, you know? And, and I tell, that's what I tell godparents in, in, when we go to baptism class, like put the baptism day on your calendar and, you know, write or call your, your, your godchild and remind them that you're praying for them and remind them that this is a big day. Baptism is a big deal. That's a good point. I, I am, I'm a godfather to one a little girl, and she's, she's about three. But she's getting to the age where I need to, outside of just praying for her, because that's why it was my question, I guess, what, do you, what does a godfather even do? Yeah. And mostly what I heard for initially was, well, just pray. And then, but now yeah. she's going to be, you know, remembering things here pretty soon. Yeah. Soon enough, she'll be preparing for First Communion. So anyway, yeah. that's just a little bit about me. Um, a reminder to myself. So Deacon Mike, mm-hmm. some hard-hitting questions, some quick stuff here at the All end right. uh, okay. as we come to the end. Uh, what is something that you could do a TED Talk on right now? You stand up and, and just say, I'm going to talk for half an hour on this subject. Oh, wow. I, I have a hard time with this one, probably because I talk too much already. and I <laughs> Literally I anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. About, I'll talk for half an hour. Yeah, you know, I think one fun thing is, so my family and I, we've gone around to, uh, we had this project. We wanted to visit all of the state capitals in the United States. And so we've been to 49 state capitol buildings and so what's left uh hawaii um yeah seven people hawaii is is quite a uh, that's an expense that we've been unable to to handle Uh, maybe maybe two people to who to hawaii uh, we tried to convince our kids you know look we took care of 49 i'll take care of one (laughs) that seems fair um so yeah so if you wanted to if, if i wanted to yeah i could talk about the different state capitals and um What's yeah, the best state capital you've been to? Oh, that's hard to say. Uh, like pretty, I usually rank prettiest in my head because uh, like like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is beautiful. Um, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, the the Baton Rouge is is beautiful. Um, there's so many of them. Uh, there's some the experience at some has been more amazing. So in Connecticut, one of the representatives just like saw us and, and grabbed us and took us in and let us hammer the gavel and walked us around and showed us all this history, you know, things like that happened that are just, just super So cool. you've been to Topeka, Kansas? Yes, I have. Wow. Yes. That was one of the scariest days of our life. We drove through Kansas through one of the worst storms we've ever driven in. Really? Um, yeah. And saw all the cows on the side of the road hiding in the corners of the fences. And yeah, that was a scary day. But um, yeah. That's Kansas for you. To, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they kept telling us that none of the storms are tornadic, and we're like, "How do you know?" But we can smell it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a taste it in the air. Like, yeah, it'll miss us. It's not a tornado. Let's today. go around. Yeah, I don't know. that's that's very impressive. Forty nine. Good luck on the fiftieth. Yeah. Uh, what's something about you that would surprise uh, the the parishioners? Um, I was talking to my wife about this recently, and, and I think she said <laughs> maybe my sense of humor, because I am like, yeah, like the things I find funniest are the things a seventh grade boy would find funny, just just goofy, silly stuff. Um, so I think that might be surprising. Um, yeah, a boy who never grew up. Yeah, uh, and that's so that's why you should feel sorry for Katie, 
You know, <laughs> it, like, like, you know, she thought she was marrying this mature guy who's an engineer and going to make something of his life. And really, she just married a 12 year old. That's a shame. That is a, that is a shame. Don't tell my, uh, my fiance, but she's going to be in a similar boat, I think. Yeah, I we'll, I'll keep a up. secret. That's <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast, so you don't have to worry about her finding out. <laughs> safe. Um, very good. Well, Deacon Mike, thanks for popping on. Absolutely, this Nate. Thank good. you very much for inviting me. Um, we're, we're looking forward to the Feast of the Assumption this weekend. We've got some special things planned, so we hope to see you this, this Sunday. Remember to celebrate. It's, it's a big deal, you know. Um, and we've got uh, a, a video by our, our very own Mike Gormley, actually, coming out, um, a, a deep dive into the Assumption and, and Mary and, and a little bit of a teaching opportunity. So that's going to be uh, fascinating. He gave a little bit of a, um, I guess, a primer uh, at our staff meeting a couple days ago. Always an inspiration to me to, to want to learn a little bit more about our faith, so be on the lookout for that video. Um, and again, just get ready for uh, a lot of things going on this fall. We're, we're very excited here at St. Anthony's to start to open up the parish uh, more and more and more. Uh, we've got all our classes, of registrations going on for faith formation. So uh, take a look at ap.church/events if you're if you're interested in a Bible study or to get your kids registered in, in faith formation or, or any number of things. We're we're really um, you know hitting the ground running here. So um, and and be on the lookout too. I reckon we're going to get a new new boss here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Exciting times. Exciting times. All faith in the world that we're going to get uh, someone really good. And who knows, yeah. by the time you all hear this, maybe we will have heard. Spoiler alert. We did. Okay. We did. We did. And uh, so looking forward to that and fascinating and fun and, and good things, I think, on the horizon for St. Anthony's. So thanks for being a part of it, Deacon Mike. Absolutely. All right. Glad to be here. See you next time.